0: Hello and welcome back. My name is Dr. Christopher Gennari. This is Great Big History, the Great Big History Podcast. We continue on our first part of the 20th century, History 102.2, and we do communism in this episode. In communism, there is the belief that all people are created equal. It is a liberal economic ideology with a political effect, that all people are equal, that they should share equally in the benefits of the state, that they contribute to the state, to society with the best of their abilities, and that they benefit towards their needs. This is not weird. We have versions of this. In American capitalism, Richard Branson at Virgin, Steve Jobs at Apple operated in much the same way. Now, they didn't share profits equally among their workers, but both give interviews about how they figured out how to pay people. And Steve Jobs in his biography talks about how he paid people. And he says, you give them enough money that money isn't an isn't an issue. People know what they need. And so you pay them enough that money is no longer an issue. Because what he wanted was people's work. And he didn't want to constantly fight with people over money. You could be cheap and fight over money. Or you could pay them what they they need and then hold them responsible for that work. Richard Branson has given interviews where it's much the same way. That the idea is people know what they need. They, they'll want more, but they know what they need to get by, to get what they want, to be happy. And the idea is you're making billions, pay them. It's better to have the happy workforce. So the idea that you benefit towards your needs is not weird. Even in America Communism is anti-capitalist And anti-private property In this way it's very Rousseauian as we discussed It sees people as good And it sees the system As enslaving them So it sees capitalism As an exploitation The most, the most easiest Version of this is slavery Where the owner gets 100% of the profit and the worker, despite creating the wealth, gets nothing. It's anti-private property. Why is it anti-private property? Because the ownership of private property allows you to hoard the bigger house, the more land, the, the more money in the bank, The second house, the third house, the fourth house, the giant yacht. That the idea is that you can, the more you own, the more you exploit. And so it's against hoarding, basically. It's anti-party and anti-government. This is Rousseau's general will. It sees these things as setting people apart. And um, you've, you've heard this even in America. If you've heard people say, We are so polarized, the Democrats and the Republicans, there's no, we're so separate. That's anti party. Our founding fathers were anti faction. They said, Oh, everyone will just get along. We're all Americans. We all have the same interests. We'll just agree. And so they wrote the constitution, passed the constitution, and then immediately broke into parties. In fact, they were breaking into parties about the con, the very act of the constitution was breaking them into parties. And so communism is we'll all be one party. We'll all get along because we all have the same interest. We are all humans. We all want the same things. We all want to have a happy life. We all want to have a good future for our kids. We want to take care of our families. What is it a fight about? Everything else after that is, is, is little things. Nuance. It's anti-government because it sees government as uh, exploitive. It sees government in league, especially in capitalist states, with the capitalists in order to exploit workers. This is everything from Carnegie calling up the governor during a strike in one of his plants in Ohio and telling him, or asking him, but really telling him, uh, get the National Guard down here, get the troops down here. And the governor of Ohio called out the Ohio National Guard, the Ohio Army, to go break up strikers in Carnegie's plant. That's in, what, the 1890s till the 2000s, where states in the Midwest um, also attack unions. Uh, Wisconsin, most famously, made it, made it impossible, made it illegal to collectively bargain, basically, for teachers to have a union, for public employees to have a union. Well, Why? Well, so they could pay lower wages, they can bring in um, privately owned corporate schools, charter schools, that had invested heavily on the governor of Wisconsin's campaign, and the idea was to break the workers of their power so that government can exploit them. Now, If you are in the governor's party, if you are in the governor's government, you're going to have a different opinion of that. You're going to say the teachers were selfish and exploiters. But the idea of communism is it's anti both of those things. It's anti-party, it's anti-government because it sees both as exploitive of the regular person. The idea of communism is to free all people from the limitations of oppression, from authority, from misogyny. I mean the Soviet Union put their first woman into space in 1963. The United States, the capitalist freedom worshipping land of the home and the brave land of the free and the brave did not put a woman into space until 1983. How does that make sense? Well, we're a misogynist culture. How it makes sense. There's nobody, nobody who's going to sit there and say there were no qualified women in 1963 to go into space. 1964, 1965, 1971. Nobody. So why didn't it happen? Because of misogyny. It wants to free all people from racism. Communism doesn't have racism. We're all workers. We're all comrades. This was big in the 60s. Uh, if you watch the, sh- the series. The Americans. In the first season. Um, the two Soviet spies. Spend a lot of time. Um, recruiting. Or, or being part of. Uh, civil rights. And African American civil rights. Movements. Why? Because the Soviet Union, communism could say there is no black people, there is no white people. We're all comrades. We don't have racism. The United States, capitalism has racism to exploit you, to keep you in welfare, to keep you poor, to keep you needy. And finally, all those things have to do with capitalist exploitation. The idea that the owner of the business will use your poverty against you. That you need the job so bad that you'll do what they say. This is people working for minimum wage and being on welfare, even though they're working at Walmart, all the way up to pimps. And they're prostitutes. Where are you going to go? What else are you going to do? That you need the job more than you need freedom, I suppose. And that they will exploit you for it. And again, we have to have a definition of what is rich and poor in this class, in this discussion. Poor people are the 99% throughout all of history. If you, you may go, well, I'm middle class. I'm not poor. That's a lie. You're lying to yourself in order to make yourself feel better. You are poor. Why? Because if you lost your job and you do a calculation about how long your money will last before Before your life has to radically change, you're poor. Rich people don't do that. Rich people don't care. Losing their job is an opportunity to write a book, start a business, be an entrepreneur. For a poor person, losing their job is a countdown to disaster. Do I have to sell my house? Can I keep my house for how long? Middle class people just have better credit. Then poor people, poor people that we call poor, middle class people have a little more in the bank. It lasts a little longer. So you don't lose your house in a month or two. You lose your month. You lose your house in six months, a year, and then what? You have nothing. You have nothing in the bank. You have nothing in retirement. You have nothing. Why? Because you lost your job. That's it. Nothing else happened. You didn't change. You didn't become an evil person. You lost your job. And now you, your wife, your kids, your grandkids are now facing economic disaster because you lost one job. And if you're rich, you don't care. Steve Jobs doesn't care. Richard Branson doesn't care. Michael Eisner doesn't care. Yeah, it sucks. He got kicked out of being president of Disney. He was worth $100 million. He didn't care. What communism is trying to do as a philosophy is free people from that so that you don't need the job, that you can get another job, that you don't face disaster. 50% of Americans right now, the richest country in the world... Cannot afford a $500 surprise bill. $500. Half of Americans. Rich people, $500 is nothing to rich people. And yet for half of Americans, it's disaster. It's a loan. It's revolving credit card. It's something that they can't pay off. So that's what communism is trying to free people from, that fear, that, that capitalistic exploitation, that racism, that misogyny. Um, if you want a better example, take Obamacare. The idea of Obamacare was people will have insurance without having to be tied. And this is what all universal health care in every other country in the modern world has, that you're not tied to your job. Because healthcare tied to your job is capitalist exploitation. Why? I can't leave my job. Why? I can make more money somewhere else. Maybe I can start a business. But I need the healthcare. I got two little kids. I got grandkids. I got nieces and nephews. I got whatever I've got. It doesn't matter. I got me. And so if you leave that job you lose your health care if you have cancer diabetes a whole host of other things you're stuck and this is where the exploitation comes in because the boss man the owner comes and goes look this me- this medical stuff is expensive you're not going to get a raise and you say, that sucks, man. I want to raise. And he says, well, you can quit and lose your health care or you can keep your health care and keep working for the same amount. In fact, actually, we didn't make as much money this year, but I have a mortgage on my $5 million house. So I need to make the same amount of money as I did last year. So you're going to take a pay cut. But you've got to keep your health care. What are you going to choose? You got a little kid. You got a baby. Who needs medicine. His vaccinations. All kinds of stuff. He gets ear infections all the time. What are you going to do? And that's capitalist exploitation. That's what we're talking about. That's what communism is trying to free people from. What about women? How does it work for women? Women get the same education as men. Which is literally what we're doing now in college, in my class, in my giant lecture hall. There are men and women sitting together learning the exact same stuff. And that's radical in 1900. That's radical in 1848 that men and women would get the same education. But that same education then allows for managerial positions, military positions. In the Soviet Union, women were in the Air Force. Women were generals in the 30s, in the 40s. I don't know if a woman is still is a combat commanding general, an infantry division commanding general in the, in the American army. Not in the Iraq War. We had a whole bunch of men. There were some women, female generals, but they weren't in charge of combat divisions. I don't honestly know if it's changed since. What all this did was give jobs, important jobs, empowerment, the overthrow of the patriarchy that women were comrades. They weren't wives anymore. They weren't subservient. They're not protected as children or as mothers, which is the traditional way of treating women. They can be equals. And that's liberating for women, is the idea. Now, this is, of course, the philosophy of it. Practice. We'll talk about the practice. But this is the idea of it that women were equal, that patriarchy is capitalist exploitation. Why? Why is it capitalist exploitation? Well, one, um, how much do you get paid for childcare? By your husband, by the father of your kids? That's free labor. No. You're working for your children, but your but your husband is out making the money. Of which now you're dependent on. What if he goes and drinks it away? What if he makes bad investments? What's gonna to happen to you? Meanwhile, you're working, you're taking care of the kids. You're a mom. You got two, three kids. And you are doing labor for nothing. Absolutely nothing. There's nothing going on that's enriching you. And you go, well, I love being a mom. Yeah, but if you were just a mom, what would happen to your bank account? Can you live on just being a mom? And that's how you're exploited. Your labor is exploited, whether you like it or not. Your labor is exploited by the patriarchy. This is why men make more money than women. It's ultimately about childcare and children that women take a hit in the United States because they have to leave the job. And we don't have maternity leave like the Swedes do, like Norway does. And so women leave the workforce. They fall behind on, on promotions. They fall behind on moving laterally to new companies They fall behind at the company itself. They may have to quit. If you're an hourly employee and you have a kid, you're screwed. Because if you don't work, you don't get paid. And so the idea of communism was to empower women to save them from this, to break them, I shouldn't say save them, to break them out of this exploitation. So you can understand why communism is very attractive. It's about liberation. It's about freedom from the system that's exploiting you. So how does it work in practice? In 1917, you get the Russian Revolution, which is the reaction to the f- defeat Russia was suffering in World War One. And the collapse of the czarist government. The czarist government, Tsar Nicholas, kept fighting a war that his army was getting destroyed in, pummeled in. So the army had no morale, plus the people at home had no morale. All the supplies of the society were going towards the army, which means people at home were starving. And in comes Lenin and Trotsky. And they're promising land, peace, and bread. And if you're a Russian in 1917, that is wonderful. Because the Tsar is promising starvation and war and death. And then even when the Tsar, even when the Parliament goes to the Tsar and says, you're done, you can't do this anymore, you're leading us into disaster. And the Tsar abdicates, resigns. The new Republican government The new parliamentary government says, you know what, we're going to keep fighting. And people said, wait, wait, what? We could have had this with the Tsar. Why do we need you losers? And they're like, well, we're smart. And no, they weren't. And there's Lenin and Trotsky promising land, peace, and bread. Which was very attractive. Problem. What's the problem? Well, one is there are anti-communist Russians. There are Russians who have money. There are Russians who are in, have property. There are Russians who have uh, ownership of some land and factories who don't like the idea of losing all of that in a proletariat revolution of the system to free the workers. They liked exploiting workers. They liked exploiting uh, farm laborers. They were okay with that. And so what happens is you get a civil war. You also get the invasion by democracies in the West who look at this and go, holy shnikes, we can't let this happen. Just like Austria and Prussia invaded France during the French Revolution. Now France, think about how crazy this is. The French Revolution gets radicalized because having given freedom and rights to its peasants, it got invaded by the outside. Now that Russian workers and peasants are saying, we want to be free, the British and the French are invading in order to stop that. The United States did too. And the new country of Poland, which was created from the Treaty of Versailles, did as well to stop communists. And it worked ...just as well as it did in the French Revolution. It galvanized the Communist Party. It made them more radical in order to defend themselves. Remember, we get the terror in the French Revolution. So we get the Bolsheviks winning in the Russian Revolution and Russian Civil War. And what we end up with is authoritarianism, just like we did in France. Plus militarism, just like we did in France the state ends up owning everything. Now, that doesn't happen in France because it's not a communist system. But in in France, the state ended up, Napoleon ends up controlling everything. Remember the levee en masse? 85, 90% of all the money that was spent in France went to the army. Now remember, people were pissed off when the king of France spent 50% of the money or 30% of the money on himself himself. Napoleon was spending 85 to 90% of the money on himself, on his army. And so you get the same thing in Russia in 1918, 20, 24. You get an authoritarianism plus a militarism. The state ends up owning everything because the state needs the resources because the state is under attack by these capitalists. So what we need is a worldwide revolution. And so... Lenin starts supporting other communist parties in other places, which, of course, is a problem if you're Britain or France or Germany and you're the conservative capitalists and you don't want a revolution. So suddenly not only is Communism, this crazy ass system, work going on in Russia. There, the Russians are now breeding civil war or possible civil war in your own society, in order to protect themselves. The effect is that Russia is outside the international system, the outside the world system. They don't have trade with almost anybody. Uh, the United States. Um, Britain, France have no diplomatic relations. They cut off. They see the system as too dangerous. What if it happens here? Trade, the okay. League of Nations, diplomacy. There is not a, an American diplomat in the Soviet Union, in Russia, in the Soviet Union, till the 1930s. And so the Soviet Union is outside the world system. So it sees itself as a pariah. It sees itself as under attack. So everything it's doing is to protect itself. And just like the French Revolution, it is going to look at outside enemies, Britain, France, United States, Germany, and it's going to look at internal enemies, counter-revolutionaries. Lenin dies in 1924. And there really isn't someone to replace him. The most likely guy is Trotsky. But basically you get a bunch of committees. And if you've been in my History 101 class and we've talked about Darius Darius in Persia, you know the committees don't work. When a bunch of homeboys get together and go, we're homeboys. We can run this together. It doesn't work, just like the directorate in France during the French Revolution. It doesn't work. One guy is going to say, you know what? You guys are stupid. What if I kill you and I take it over? And that's Napoleon in France. That is Darius Darius in Persia. And that is Stalin in Russia. So we've seen this before. Stalin purges his enemies. And by 1929, he's the leader. The last guy he's going to get rid of, the last enemy, is going to be Trotsky, who's going to be assassinated with an ice pick in Mexico. He, Trotsky flees uh, and is on the run from hit squads. And um, he ends up in Mexico, Mexico City, I think. And he keeps writing about how terrible Stalin is. And one day the assassins catch up to him and basically pursue him around the house, stabbing him. Until he finally... With an ice pick. Until he dies. Stalin has a problem. Stalin is not Trotsky. And he certainly isn't Lenin. He was a minor figure... In the revolution and the civil wars. He's not a nobody. He's not a nothing... He's not even Russian. He's Georgian. Which shows how you can rise in communism. But the idea is Stalin has a problem. Why should he get to run the show? He ran the show because he murdered and liquidated and eliminated his enemies. But that doesn't get you to run a country. Like, the people could overthrow you. The army could overthrow you. And so what he begins to create is a personality cult. That Stalin, meaning steel in Russian, is the great leader after Lenin. That it's Lenin and Stalin. Forget all the guys in the middle. Now Lenin hated him. Lenin Lenin did not like Stalin at all. Lenin didn't see him as his successor. And so what Stalin brings into the system is a paranoia, a fear of enemies. And that makes sense because he doesn't have a secure basis for his power, for telling people what to do. And like Tiberius, he kept his power by whacking other guys, by eliminating his enemies well, if that's, how you, if that's how you're running your government, why wouldn't you think other people are out to get you? If you were out to get other people, why wouldn't you think other people are out to get you? And so we have paranoia of the outside. Britain, France, Germany, United States. And of the inside. And so paranoia of the outside is they're going to invade us again. They're going to do what Germany did from 1915 to 19... from 1914 to 1918. Um, what the Western powers did in the early 20s. So we need to catch up. We are behind. We are powerless against them. We need to catch up. We need to be taken seriously. We need to have enough power that they don't invade us. And so you have massive Forced industrialization. The USSR is the only country to make money during the Great Depression. One, because it's outside the banking system that's collapsing in 1929, two, it's making giant industrial goods by exploiting its labor. By exploiting the peasantry. By forcing people to work for next to nothing. And not buy anything. The level of consumption in Soviet Russia in 1930. Is less than the countries of the Great Depression. Americans simply would not have put up with it. The lines. The lack of bread. The 16 hour work days. The democratic systems just wouldn't put up with it. And so you get this massive industrialization. Giant factories are going to be built. They're going to produce giant amounts of goods. It's going to break large parts of the traditional culture. But that's what Stalin wants to do. Second is the elimination of any element of competition to Stalin, both within the government and within the society. Notice that forced industrialization. Peasants are going to now have to work in factories. Well, what if they don't want to work in factories? Tough. You work in the factory or you get shot. What about the peasants who own some land? Tough. You do what I say or you get shot. And so the Kulaks, who are peasant landowners, um, we would consider them small, like, middle-class farmers. Uh, Political opponents, people who are like, well, you know, this wasn't what the Lenin wanted. Uh, Church officials who are like, whoa, 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 whoa. The Orthodox Church has been here a thousand years. None of this is is Christian. None of this is, is, it's all so modern. And it's like, yeah, shut up. Intellectuals and writers who are like, this this is not communism. This is not the philosophy. And that's the people who are communists. The people who are Lockean or or uh follow Smith in economics and in politics are like, whoa, this isn't this is way off. We're nothing like the West. We're nothing like Germany or Britain or France. We're not a better version of them. We're we're this craziness. Um There's also the nationalist ethnicities, Ukrainians, Belarusians, Bolts, uh, Lithuanians, Estonians, Latvians, Finns. Uh, Finns are now not part of the Soviet Union, um, but they're right on the border. And they're like, yeah, we don't want to be part of this. Uh, People in Central Asia, Georgians. They're not in Central Asia, they're in the Caucasus, but there's nationalist ethnicities, they're like, we don't want to be a part of this. We want to do our own thing. Communism is supposed to free us from oppression. Well, being owned by the Russians when you're not Russian is oppression. Being told what to do by Russians when you're not a Russian is oppression. We want to have our own country. And then in the late 30s, Stalin will and go after the army. And from 1936 to 1939... He will obliterate almost all of the army officers, 90% of his generals, 85% of his colonels, anybody who could have organized a resistance against him in all, in total, all of these people are some 20 million people are going to die either through their extermination through the mass forced industrialization, through forced starvation, especially in the Ukraine, through the various means Stalin is going to impose. He's going to murder about 20 million people. Stalin is as bad of a villain in Europe, in the in the 20th century, as Hitler is. He just... Did it in his own country for the most part to his own people. Um, We'll talk about the secret memo, the secret, the secret speech of 1953 by Khrushchev, who starts to open up about this stuff. But. um, The Stalin historiography really hasn't caught up with just how terrible life was, say, in 1933 in rural Soviet Union for a lot of people. And so what you get is Stalinism, disauthoritarianism. That's not communism. Remember, we talked about communism. Communism is about liberation. Communism is about equality. Communism is about anti-misogyny and racism. That's not Stalinism. Stalinism has all of those things. The Russians are better than other peoples in the Soviet Union, the government will exploit you by owning everything, by telling you what you will make, how long you will work. You have a paranoid state government that runs everything. That's not communism. Like people say, oh, Marxist-Leninism. No. This isn't communism. If you read the Communist Manifesto in 18, from 1848, this, Stalinism looks nothing like that. Nothing. And so what you have is a paranoid state run by a paranoid dictator that runs everything and needs to know about everything, spies on everything, because it's paranoid.